0: Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. This episode is part of a special series about the Bacaloo Trail region of Newfoundland and Labrador. Join us as we explore the hidden gems of the Bacaloo Trail, from stories of phantom ship sightings to local art and history. I'm your host, Natalie Dignam. In today's episode, I'm talking with Terence and Courtney Howell from Greats Cove Studios. Terence and Courtney moved to Greats Cove over a decade ago and started their studio the business has grown since and they also have a restaurant featuring Newfoundland Cajun and Korean flavors offer accommodations and harvest their own seedweed to make their seaweed lotion you can also sign up for cooking or art classes during your stay in this episode Terence and Courtney talk about the adaptability of Newfoundlanders during uncertain times the natural beauty of the Backlue trail and the history of Greats Cove
1: My name is Courtney Howell. Um, I'm a co-owner with my husband, Terrence with Greats Cove Studios. And we have been living in Greats Cove. It's almost Mm -hmm. next week will be 11 years that we are here, that we traveled from Louisiana where I'm from to Newfoundland, where Terrence is from with our six and a half month old daughter. Um, to start our lives in rural Newfoundland. Um, And before we came to Newfoundland, um, we were in Louisiana for four years where we were doing disaster relief work. And before that, we were both in South Korea teaching English. That's where we met. And it was there that we started talking about um, building a life in rural Newfoundland. And we didn't really know what that was at that time, what it would look like. We just knew that it was the place, um, that was going to guide us where, where we started our lives. And once we moved to Newfoundland with our young daughter, we just, uh, very quickly, um, uh, established roots in Greats Cove. And this is where, uh, Terrence's father was born, where many of his ancestors live. And it was, not where we thought we were going to live, but, um, we just on our own would explore, uh, Great Cove when we first got to Newfoundland. And even though it's at the very end of the road and, uh, it didn't seem like the most logical place to start a business. We knew that this was the place where we wanted to be and we're glad we did it. It's, uh, it's a great community, has so much history uh, and culture, living culture in the community. And it has been a wonderful 10 plus years building the business. And it, uh, I think we found out that it was the right place because of uh, how many visitors uh, we get here. And yeah, the interest people have in the history of Greats Cove. So when we got here, uh, we started the business with Terrence's, uh, art and wood designs. And then uh, not that long after we bought an old school house in Greats Cove and it needed to be renovated. So, uh, the sales that we made from, uh, Terrence's art and wood designs, we put into the building and, um, I guess five years ago we decided to start a restaurant and that really changed um, the business a lot. It kind of brought it, the food is what brings people together. It, it, um, um, it's a place um, for people to come where after they're exploring the trails in Greats Cove or spending um, the weekend here, and, yeah, it's uh, been good. And this pandemic is certainly uh, changing things.
2: Yeah, it's a very <laughs> different feeling this year. We're used to a lot of uh, action by now, a lot of activity. Uh, if it's not really busy, it's it's beginning to ramp up. Um, so we're pretty much running around getting things in order or uh, servicing guests. So it's uh, it's been a bit of a different uh, season for sure.
1: So what the business is now, we have the restaurant where people uh, know of a lot of our food here, we uh, focus a lot on seafood and vegan and vegetarian dishes. And a lot of our dishes are uh, Cajun and Creole and Asian inspired. Um, And we work to use a lot of local ingredients in our food and the past few years we've been uh, harvesting seaweed. So we incorporate a lot of, hand harvested seaweed into our dishes as well. And we also have two rental homes and Terrence is also, uh, uh, he'll do some uh, art workshops and I'll do some cooking workshops with guests, but, uh, a large part of what we do is encourage people to explore Greats Cove and to learn about its history. Um, um, we're, where we're located, we're at the very end of the Bacaloo Trail. So people don't really get here by chance. People, you have to plan uh, to come out here or you get here when you're traveling the Bacaloo Trail. But once people get here, they're really kind of amazed. We're kind of nestled in this really isolated place. Um, where it's seven kilometers off the main road. And when you're traveling down that last 11, seven kilometers to get to Greats Cove, It's you just in you don't see the ocean very much, you just you're uh, traveling along the barrens, and uh, people just they're they're welcomed into Greats Cove by just this wide open ocean just opening up to them. Uh, And there we're a small community, I think our last census had us at 133 people. Um, And once people get here, once guests get here, either for the day or they're spending the night. we encourage them to explore the trails and understand Greats Cove as a national historic site. Uh, in 1995, Greats Cove was designated a national historic site for the rock walls uh, that line the entire town. We're one of the uh, oldest living examples in Newfoundland of um, of ancestral rock wall gardens that people would use to uh, enclose their gardens or their livestocks divide property lines, and uh, we have a a beautiful main area for the National Historic Site that has trails around the Rockwall Gardens, and then there's just kilometers and kilometers of trails that line the community. And um, so what we've been doing for the past 10 years is really um, 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 educating people on Greats Cove as a National Historic Site and as a destination to explore and one of the other things that we've really especially during the pandemic that will uh, have an opportunity to um, talk with people and then open them up to is the history of John Cabot here in Greats Cove and Terrence may have a bit more to say about the history of John Cabot in Greats Cove.
2: Yeah so I mean it's uh, it's widely understood that John Cabot probably <clears throat> landed in Bonavista area uh, at the Cape um, but there was actual physical evidence in Greats Cove that he may have landed here. Now, that was largely uh, swayed for whatever reason, usually, I guess, it could be political or whatnot. Um, and it's also the fact that there was no actual physical evidence remaining um, currently. So the story goes, local story goes, um, back in the 60s, a band drove into Greats Cove um, and heard of this rock. So the, the locals always knew of this rock that had an engraving in it. Um, and it was examined, uh, photographed by a, um, the curator of the Nikolai Museum back in, 19, in the 40s, uh, 40 maybe 44. I'm not really sure that actual year. Uh, it was photographed, but um, he and this gentleman who was the curator, he claimed that it was um, definitely inscribed "I kaboto. So it was it was in a different type of a period, a type of speak, and it was a foreign speak, so it would have been uh, in Italian. There were other names there, other foreign names that were also chosen to the stone. I guess I always questioned why would why would the first landing from Europe um why would they why would they uh not have put their mark somewhere else? But there was a mark found here. Uh it was always disputed whether it was Bona Vista or here, but it was also the industry had already begun there. So when people began to dispute point of landing, um it was basically was already swayed towards Bonavista because the industry had already had infrastructure in place. Uh, that's what I feel. I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, but I always found it really fascinating what what's, what the story of him possibly landing here and then it was. The idea, another possible um, um, theory, was that he, he shipwrecked here on the second trip. So, in um, the second trip here, 1490. he uh, actually it's believed that he may have uh, shipwrecked in Great's Cove and died in Great's Cove because he he never um, survived that trip he was never seen again Um, so there's a lot of mystery around the story uh, a lot of theories uh, but Great's Cove um, as far as I know is the only uh, site that has had or did have physical evidence but back to the story of that day that the um, a media van came to town, uh, a van that was marked with um, media insignia. Now, I'm not sure I can speculate. That's all I can really do is speculate on who that might have been, the entity that might have been. The two men uh, went to the site of the rock, was known as Cabot Rock. All the locals knew it as Cabot Rock. Uh, the engraving um, became locally kind of famous. Um, so these two men, they claimed to be uh, there from these uh, a historical entity uh, trying to verify the authenticity of the stone, uh, after that point of conversation with the locals, because um, they were being questioned what, you know why they were there, what their intent was, uh, after telling them that they were you know uh, officiated with the museum or gallery somewhere in T- St. John's, they began to chisel the stone away. So this piece of uh, very valuable historical uh, artifact was being taken out of, chiseled out of the stone. Uh, in doing that, they actually uh, broke the stone; and dropped and shattered, and the shards were taken away. So it's it's not really known whereabouts. Uh, it's a mystery, you know. So it's it would be really interesting to see. You well, know, I've examined the same area and found other engravings in a rock over there. Uh, there is a chance, I guess, that the people that came and did remove rock could have removed the wrong piece of rock. Uh, I mean, it was very worn. It was, you know, a couple hundred years old with sea wearing the stone. It's hard to say really what, what happened. Locals can recall that it was taken away by these two men. Um, But where it ended up, nobody knows really.
1: Yeah. So I think like um, with us here in Greats Cove, we, we live a year round life here. And when we moved here, we, we committed ourselves to um, uh, living in Greats Cove, exploring the landscape, exploring the history, uh, and what that to influence the kind of work that we do with our food, with our art, with our designs, and with also how we interact with our guests who come here, and encouraging them to do that same kind of exploration here even though this is such a small community it is very large in what it gives back to people if people are willing to explore it um so yeah that's that's what we do here
0: (laughs) (laughs) i definitely want to dig more into uh some of the history And this idea of uh, art in place that you guys um, also kind of explain on your website. Yeah, so one of the questions I had uh, before we dig into the history is you guys kind of mentioned the landscape a little bit. And I was so happy that I got out to Grades Cove really right before uh, this pandemic happened. It was crazy. We came out that weekend in the winter and literally we were driving home when CBC put out the COVID-19 information and that the response was going to be like within the next week, all the restaurants were shutting down. Oh, that's wild. It was just wild, like the timing of it. So I was very happy to be out there and get to visit you guys uh, there. But I was wondering if you could talk a little more about the landscape and kind of like what the Barrens is. And it's such a unique place. Like I really don't think I've seen anywhere that physically looks the way that Greats Cove does.
1: And I think it's it's hard for us. I mean, every place in Newfoundland is amazing and beautiful, but I mean, I don't know if we're biased, but we feel that there's just something about this place. You know, we had this whole plan of where we were going to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't that far away from Great Scove, but it wasn't Great Scove, but it is just something about this place driving into it after this you know this drive down the bacaloo trail driving down barrens and then you just open up into this um almost like a half moon
2: um yeah beautiful little cove landscape it's, it's kind of on the cusp of two bays also so it's kind of either here nor there it's um so going uh if i go to the head of the head, what we call the head here in town i don't know if you probably noticed the uh the the artificial lighthouse or the um up at the point at the end, far edge of the cove. Yeah, so one side to the right, you have uh, you're going towards Conception Bay, and to the left, you're basically in Trinity Bay. So it's kind of um, you're in between two bays. So get you get a lot of traffic here as well. You get a lot of ocean, uh, uh high, larger vessels that would be seen more on high seas. Uh,
1: but I, I think point. like with the landscape, I think what drew us to be here. Terence's degree is in fine arts, um, and Uh, when we initially started talking about living in rural Newfoundland, uh, the purpose of that was uh, art-based. So we knew, I mean, we both, we both grew up in rural environments and wanted to live and raise our daughter in a rural environment. Um, And then when we got here, it's just this raw, rugged, wild landscape. I mean, there's, it's And it's funny, you know, we get some people uh, who maybe have spent, you know, their entire lives in a city. And when they get here, they either embrace it completely or it takes them a while. Because the environment almost demands that you um, you have to take it in. It does something to you. It's going to affect you. And... Some people really, really gravitate towards that, and some people have a little bit harder time. Yes, I mean some people who it.
2: are have been city dwellers for their whole lives, especially some of them find it very um, traumatic in a sense. You know, visually or environmentally um, stressing because it's so open and it is so barren, which is not really the right word for the barrens. Because there's a lot ocean of life, all around you. There's ocean all around, so it's 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 very. Yeah. I think, I think people in the cities, they, they have their own personal spaces, but then they also, yeah, they rely on the community of the city that, uh, that is really in a sense, the landscape of a city tends to be very um, uh, well block oriented, you know, your communities and your neighborhoods uh, there's usually a lot of um sky rise cover. There's a lot of concrete, but there's still communities within cities, but here it's very open communities within the environment, and you kind of, uh, you can't avoid that environment. You are literally exposed to it on a daily basis.
1: And I think if people, um, when people like accept, you know, where they are, that they're in this really remote place, and this just amazing environment, it does something to them. We've had people who've stayed with us, you know, a few days, and you know, they had all of these plans to just keep moving around, keep driving here. And they do, they explore the back of the trail, but we've had people who just stay here and explore uh, the trails, go off trail, get into the landscape. And it does something to them. And I, I don't know exactly how to explain it. It's, it's just so, I don't know if it's the ruggedness, the rawness of the environment, that constant change. It's one of the things I love about this place Uh, I always I've always had a lot of wanderlust. I've always wanted to travel. And now that I'm here, I don't want to go anywhere. Uh, But I feel like I'm always having an experience because the ocean is always changing Um, within within each season, but definitely uh, from season to season, the light on the rocks change uh, the activity that's going around in Greats Cove, the wildlife that's here everything changes sometimes throughout the day.
2: Oh yeah. That's um times. and it's
1: it's just it's now just what we talk about uh or not talk about. Mm-hmm. It's just it's almost like a person. <laughs> it's almost like another entity. Uh and it it definitely impacts our mood. It impacts what activity we decide to do. Are we gonna go harvest seaweed today? Uh are we gonna stay inside and light a fire and just you know, look out at the ocean and be amazed by it. Are we going to go get lost in the Barrens? Um, the landscape dictates all of it on what we do and how we feel, what we create. And it has completely guided the business <laughs> yeah. and not on purpose.
0: Oh, so I wanted to ask uh, about some of the the history of the community um, and maybe Terence, you could talk about a little bit about your family history.
2: Uh, well, the town was originally settled um, by about four different families from uh, from the area. Um, about 1790 was the first families moved here. Now, my my family line is the Lambert line. That's my grandmother's uh, family, and she her family line would date back to the 1800s, the late 1800s. About- so I do have a lot of uh, cousins and distant relatives here. And as a kid, I grew up hearing a lot of stories about scope, So I, I felt it was a very beautiful picture painted by my grandmother. And, and my father would also bring me here. I'm literally 15 minutes away from my hometown. Um, so my dad, as a kid, he would bring me down every Sunday and make sure I, I knew where my great-grandparents lived and different uh, uh, activities and sites of the town. So I was always kind of uh, intrigued could buy it as a kid i guess uh, but i never thought i would ever live here again but um i think my, na- my nan my would probably li- like to know that i was uh, was here now though so it's kind of a
1: your grandmother grew up here what was her name
2: her name is henrietta um but she went by annie because she was as a kid she was made fun of for her name but um so she never she, she never went with her, her original name she was always called uh, annie and she was um a lovely woman um she always Missed Great Scove. I mean, she, she moved to where I was born, uh, old Perlican, about 15 minutes away. You probably drove, you had to drive through it to get here, but she always speak, spoke fondly of her life in Great Scove before, uh, she left. Uh, so my dad, my dad left here when he was about seven. So my dad and my aunts and uncles, a number of them were born here as well and, uh, lived, uh, a very enjoyable life until they moved to well World and Their life continued, but they always spoke fondly of great scope It had a certain magic, I think, hmm. for them and their memories.
1: A the thing that can't be explained.
2: It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's just a bit of a lovely conundrum. But this community
1: used to have, I was really surprised when we moved here and people would tell us about, um, you know, the history of the area, the families. This community used to have over 700 people here. Mm-hmm. It was a really thriving fishing community uh, with lots of families, lots of children, lots of activity. Lots
2: of commerce. A lot of the people here, um, it was early fisheries co-op started here by prominent members. Uh, It was, it was probably, uh, you know, this area, this is kind of a fish killing hub of North America. when we say fish, we mean cod, of course. Uh, cod was king and well used to be king Uh, in the minds and sentiments of people here (laughs) cod will always be king Uh, but uh, yeah it was um, it was probably known for killing or taking more uh, cod from the sea than anywhere else in in the whole of North America actually because it was just a a very good the nursery grounds were like ideal Uh, before the nursery grounds were damaged by over uh, overfishing and and, uh, foreign trawlers and and inter Coastal, um, uh travel. It was um, it was quite a vibrant fishery, but it's, you know things have changed a lot as far as that way of life goes. I mean, we changed over to crab as our main species of harvest. Cod fishery is now. I think a lot of people feel that the cod fishery will come back within a you know short number of years, but science is still showing that the the, the cod fishery is, is still in a, a really uh, desperate state of ill repair. So we don't really know where that's going to take us, but we do have uh, ongoing prospects for um, new endeavors. We know with, with ourselves we're, we're harvesting still, but carrying on that tradition of harvesting uh, just in a different uh, sector. So it's, um, it's, it's interesting to see how Newfoundlanders adapt in the future.
1: I think we're an example of it.
2: Yeah. I think, I think we are a very traditional people, but Newfoundlanders are, It's a lot of wildcards in their population, people who are just curious and willing to take some chances. Uh, So there's other species that are explored, other uh, ventures that are uh, incorporating uh, land and sea, via tours, just very different experiential uh, experiences that are geared towards, again, history, fun, adventure, exploration. It's it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in the next few years, especially in lieu of this pandemic. and who's able to, who, who can come out on top, you know, still, still breathing as a business. So it's, it's going to be interesting to kind of read the data on what, what their game plan was, or if they had a game plan, or if they just, during that perfect storm, if there were other perfect elements that were making them keep their business alive or in, inspiring them to keep the business alive in new ways.
0: But the history always speaks here.
2: The history does speak.
0: Thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems of the Bacaloo Trail, a special series on the Living Heritage Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Dignam.
2: You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.